That's a magic number. Uncaged Wisdom, Cheetah Digital's podcast for modern marketing. So Jay, welcome back. We will be concluding our uh, our freepie, our trilogy of trilogies, our look at financial modeling in three parts. We started off, for anyone who has listened to this over a period of time, episode one is looking at the, the, the importance of financial modeling. And Jay covers why it's, uh, it should be at the heart of your considerations, be you coming up with a new loyalty program or be you reevaluating and evolving your current one. Part two was looking at the individual elements behind financial modeling, how we can really sort of bore down into the most important parts of your consideration. And Jay gave us four brilliant sort of uh, areas to consider. And to round us out, Jay, we're going to talk about the complexity of financial models and actually look a little bit beyond them in this third and final episode. So let's start off by considering the complexity of financial models. So what do we need to bring in at this point that we haven't thought about before, which is important, but again, you know, if you don't approach it in the right way, it can make your head hurt. Yeah. Well, these make your head hurt regardless, I think so. Uh, but you know, we've talked about why you do financial modeling, what are some of the use cases in planning, and then we've really talked about the basics, the input parameters, the outputs of a, pro, of a financial model, and, uh, and the valuation criteria and what, um, you know, what you're looking for. So those are really the basics. Um, more of the advanced kinds of things that you're going to look, you're going to find um, when you're doing, trying to do financial modeling is that, you know, some of these can be very simple. Some of these can be vastly complex uh, and they're really based on, it's really based on the use case you have and, and the need uh, that you have the different kinds of needs for the program. Uh, Typically, I'd say there's five things that uh, that determine the complexity of a financial model. First would be factors such as the the program type or tier structure. So from a program type standpoint, is this going to be a points-based rewards program? Is it going to be some kind of a spend and get program? If you spend a certain amount or, or buy a certain number of times, you get something, but there's no there's no actual currency involved. Uh, is it just a soft benefits program? Is there really no hard value exchange benefit, and it's just simply you're getting uh, you're getting soft benefit type treatments? Uh, is it a more of a surprise and delight kind of a program where uh, there's no specific specified benefits of what you're getting, but you do get periodic. Uh, discounts or rewards or prizes um, based on the value that you're bringing to the business. Um, the other part I mentioned was was tier structure, and this is where uh, where where uh, financial models can get a little complex because a tier is a different kind of level of customer that can be an announced tier or can be private and really not announced, but based on certain behaviors you can provide certain benefits. 
And now, of course, the typical things that you'd see in rewards programs would be, you know, the 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 gold, silver, and bronze, or the bronze, silver, gold, and platinum tiers. You know, they all have these. Not all, but most programs have uh, anywhere from two to five, even more or less tiers uh, in their program. And uh, using those in a financial model can be a little bit tricky. One of the tips that I like to use when it comes to, you know, how do, how do you incorporate tiers is showing cohorts, showing, using what I call a cohort matrix, and it allows you to show your work. So for example, if you want to do a program that say, if you want to show your financial model three years out, 36 months out, you would have a column for each month. And then rows going down would, would be for each tier and how those people would be interacting with your program each tier. So it's a very blatant way to show the model. But I like it because it allows you to really understand your methodology as well as when you provide this model to your client or to even to any of your colleagues, it really shows what's going on inside your head. It really shows, it gives you the ability to show that work. Uh, it also allows you to incorporate more seasonality because if you are looking at say January, February, March, April, and so forth, you can uh, put in different parameters and different assumptions based on seasonality that you couldn't do if you were doing just more of an overall formula. So what that allows you to do from a tiering standpoint, it allows you to, uh, to look at each tier and the behavior of each tier for each month of the program. So again, very granular. And I like to do it in cohorts. So for the first month of the program, here's how many people are going to enroll. Here's, what, here's the behavior that they're going to, to exhibit. And then how many people are going to jump into the next tier and into the tier after that, based on those numbers, you can figure it out. And then you can include those people in the next tier for the next month and so forth. And then there's also to add more complexity to it, not to scare anybody off, <laughs> is people going back a tier because typical programs, you have to continue to maintain that spending threshold or you will, you'll migrate down in different tiers. So, allow, so this, this kind of cohort matrix allows you to, uh, to include all of that in a very visual way. Jay, how do you, when you're dealing with people uh, and, um, and brands trying to work that out, is, do you have a, a sort of baby step program to walk them through it, especially when you're considering you're going, yeah, tier up, tier up, and then maybe tier back? Do you help them? Uh, simplify it so they can get the head around it because I'm guessing tiers is enough to make people have tiers. There's lots of different um, rationale and reasons behind even having tiers in the first place. We like to have tiers in programs. We think tiers are important because these programs are designed in nature to be very psychological and very motivational. And what tiers allow you to do is give your customers something to look forward to. So, they, they know that if they just do one or two more things, uh, that they can get up to the next tier, which provides them a certain set of benefits. And people will, this is one of the main things where people will uh, provide you incremental spending in order to get to those tiers. 
because you're giving them certain benefits, certain soft benefits. I'll give you one example is Southwest Airlines, which uh, I'm a loyalty member for Southwest. And if you can get into the A-list, then there's a lot of really good soft benefits that you get. Uh, if I can spend a certain amount, there's a, I, I can get into a companion pass, which of course has lots of benefits. Um, and getting to those requires certain behaviors. And it does, I can tell you, you know, even as a professional in this business, it motivates me to make sure I take enough flights in order to get to that A-list because I don't want to um, have to deal with trying to figure out, you know, when I need to call up to make sure I reserve my seat and all those other things that um, being in an A-list, uh, you know, cutting the line when I'm checking in, things like that that are really important to me. So tiers provide that gamification in the program that's really important to a lot of programs. So uh, we do like to have tier structure involved in a program, but you know, putting that in the financial model, of course, is uh, something that's a little trickier. So uh, I, I like to try and make sure that we understand what it's going to take to, to build those tiers, how, how they should be built, what are the parameters that people need to do? What are the, what's the, the spending that they need to do in order to get into those tiers? And there's all, you know, there's, there's certain benchmarks and, and strategies and philosophies around that. Rise up this morning, smile with the rising sun. how should the tier structure be broken down? Five. First rule of thumb is the 80-20 rule. So you take 80% of your people in tier one and 20% in tier two. And then you take those 20% in tier two and take uh, take 20% of those and move those to tier three. Now, of course, starting out in a program, everyone starts in tier one until they start to stratify. And uh, at some point, you're going to see this kind of 80-20 rule come into play, uh, typically. Now, you know, there's a lot of different programs that vary from that quite a bit, but that's one example of, a, of kind of a tip I would give if you're starting out thinking about uh, a loyalty program. Four. Another one uh, beyond, uh, beyond that tier structure, the second, I'd say, complexity factor would be the use case. So are you... Uh, you're building building a business case or you're benchmarking benchmarking success um, in in the kind of a program that that you're doing. So, what's the use case for your program or for your financial model? Are you just using this to uh, to to highlight what you think you're what you're doing right now and where the gaps are? Are you trying to build a business case for a loyalty program, or are you building this financial model? as a benchmark for your success to look at the actual versus planned. Um, and, you know, based on the kind of a use case you're using this for is, uh, is what you would, you know, what you would consider how, how complex you want to create and make this model, um, how much detail you need to put in there. Three. A third one would be the required time frame under which you're analyzing the program. So, Typically, we like to do three-year 
financial models. So we'll take the program out from inception to three years to really get a good, run it through its paces and get a good understanding of uh, how this program is going to perform. So if it's just a six month promotional type finite program, or is this an ongoing program that could be, maybe they wanna see five years out. Uh, based on those complexities, um, those parameters, it will dictate what kind of complexity you want to have for the program. Two. And then fourth, fourth, I would say, is the uh, whether a single vision is, su is sufficient for the model or you need multiple scenarios. So one of the things by that, I mean, do you just want to see one model or do you want to see different versions of the model that maybe show you, uh, for example, a more aggressive version? something that's more realistic and maybe a version that's more conservative. And as you can imagine, those would be driven by your variable parameters that would say, well, okay, if we can, if we can only get people to do this minimal amount, then here's what our outcome would be. This would be a conservative model. If we think Realistically, here's what would make sense, you know, a 5% lift here and a 2% lift there and a 10% lift here, then uh, that would give us maybe what we call our medium or intermediate or, or realistic version. And then, okay, what happens if we really kick butt here? Can we, um, what, what can we expect? What's this high watermark that we think the program can do? And that would be more of an aggressive uh, version. So you could be creating multiple versions of the model. One, And then of course, uh, the last one I would say is the number of customer segments that need to be treated uniquely in the model. Uh, everybody does, well, not everybody, but most companies do some kind of a customer segmentation scheme. And we want to look at, uh, are we just looking at various customers or uh, are we looking at basically treating everyone the same from the outset? Uh, those can add complexities to the model. Are we looking at uh, customers maybe who are paying with, with certain currencies like a proprietary credit card versus just a, uh, you know, any, open, any open kind of um, tender amount or, or tender type uh, for the program? There's lots of different little um, uh, complexities that come into play. Thunderbirds are go. Big five to think about there, Jay, and in terms of how you spent some time on, on the tier structure, that's definitely the one I guess people really want to get their heads around to, to start off with. When we're, when we're bringing these, these, uh, these additional complexities and we're trying to, to get our heads around them and you did a great job of, of defining these five points, when does that happen in the process? Is that quite early on? Is it a sort of secondary conversation you'll be having with them when they're mapping out the other bits? One thing to remember, Julian, if we kind of take a step back, and think about when we do financial modeling. Uh, and let's, let's forget about the, the use case of just benchmarking uh, where you are right now, of just looking at uh, where you are right now. But if this is for, uh, uh, for a business case, for example, where, when does this come into play? It's not done right away. It is not done as one of the first kind of aspects of the program uh, because for sim simply for the reasons that we need to understand what kind of a program we're doing? What, what is this? What's the foundational program type? And that's where the, the discovery and some of the, 
strategic planning comes into play and we think about and we try to determine what's the best strategic approach, what kind of a program should you be doing? So once we have all of those elements in place, once we really understand uh, what we want to do, at least foundationally, it doesn't have to be exact, but at least foundationally, we've understood the kind of a program we want to do. Uh, and we really understand our, all of our kind of financial parameters around that and, and, uh, and, our, and our guidelines and borders around it. So uh, how much we can spend on this and we can do these kinds of benefits or maybe not these kinds of benefits, or we're completely anti-promotional and no discounting versus uh, sure, we can do some discounting and some bonusing and things like that. Once we understand what we're working with, that's when the financial model comes into play. And when we start to look at uh, how complex we need to make this financial model. Jay, just, I suppose I'll put it out there to you to uh, just see if, is there anything else you wanted to discuss around the complexities? I'll give you one tip that uh, has come up many times that uh, we've been able to solve for, and, uh, and, and in particular in a points-based program. So if you have a points-based program and you're giving, let's call it, I don't know, 10 points for every dollar spent, and uh, you understand how many points, and you need a, you know, a, if you get 500 points, you get a $5 reward, something, you know, it's very common out there. Uh, the other factor that comes into play is what about points for non-transaction uh, type activities? So uh, what about bonus points? What about you know, double and triple points days or buy these certain products and get uh, 10 extra points or get 50 extra points, a certain number of points, things like that. Uh, rate us uh, or, or provide a referral to somebody or uh, give us a, or answer a quiz or a, I'm sorry, a, like a survey or a quiz or something like that um, and get bonus points. How do those get incorporated? And to be honest, those are really difficult to, um, to incorporate uh, realistically. So there's, a, there's, a, simp there's a, a difficult way to do it or a complex way to do it is to actually um, try and uh, try, try and measure those throughout each point in history and each time, each point in time that you're doing. But overall, what I found to be acceptable for clients, as well as a lot easier to manage, because these are complex enough without getting into these, is to use a bonus points bucket. And by that, I mean, you allot a percentage of points that'll be issued throughout the year to your members. So for example, uh, you may say, we're going to keep uh, an extra 10% of whatever they are, uh, whatever each customer is earning. So we're going to give whatever each, say each customer on average earns 500 points in a year, just throwing out a number. Uh, and we find that what we'll do is for a, we're going to allot another 10% of that. We're going to allot another 50 points that each person on average would earn via double points and triple points promotions, for example, um, as well as soft points promotions for things like referrals and uh, other non-purchase activities like answering a survey.
Beyond the main financial model, what other analytics may be needed to support the program? Yes, Julian, a great question. There certainly the financial model that we've been discussing is very paramount and relevant to design and development of a loyalty program. But beyond that, there are other analytic tools that we like to use. One of them would be uh, an RFM model, which is recency, frequency, and monetary value. It really helps to segment customers based on uh, when they last purchased with you, how much money they spend, and how much value they are overall. As well as there's predictive models that we like to use for things such as, you know, how many people are going to enroll in the program? What, what is, what's our prediction for, uh, for enrollment? As well as migration, how many people do we think are going to migrate from uh, one tier to another, from segments to another, as well as uh, churn? So how many people do we think are going to, uh, you know, uh, are, going to, are going to churn out of the program? Uh, are going to uh, are at risk maybe to to uh, go go dark. Uh, we've got uh, there's models that we use to predict those, and then of course there's promotional response models. So if we're going to do certain promotions, can we predict uh, which customers and you know, how many customers are going to respond to certain promotions? So. Uh, those models, those kind of predictive analytic models come into play quite often. And then I say, secondly, there's more test and control modeling. Using a very similar kind of a construct, we can do test and control modeling to determine what the potential ROI will be for various enhancements or changes to the program or uh, campaign options. So, for example, if you have a program, in place running now and you say, well, what happens if we pull back a little bit on our benefits? What happens if we raise the stakes and make people spend more in order to get to the next tier or in order to uh, be able to take advantage of certain benefits? Uh, We can take the model then and we can test that out and see what kind of uh, what kind of ROI we could get on that based on certain predictions. Uh, if we're looking at certain campaigns, okay, what if we do all of these? Uh, what if we start getting into promotional campaigns and double and triple points campaigns? Uh, what what can be our potential outcomes from that? So we can use a similar kind of model structure, same model structure in many cases, and just. Um, kind of test out these different parameters to see what's going to happen uh, based on what we're seeing in the marketplace. You don't have to be a statistician or an Excel expert in order to do financial modeling. If you are somewhat competent in Excel, I would say, because that's the tool that most people use, and you really have a good knowledge of the elements and parameters that your loyalty program uh, is structured from, then you can probably complete a, a decent financial model. It's really, like we said at the beginning, it is just taking all of these inputs and creating a story around these inputs. Like I said, I think of this as a 
as a canvas, as your Excel spreadsheet as a canvas. And what you're basically trying to do is paint a picture of, okay, if these certain things are truisms and these certain things are assumptions that we believe will happen, what kind of an effect will that have on our outcome and uh, on, on the purchase behavior? And just structuring those out and making sure you include the costs that would burden the program. I think most people can put together uh, a, a decent financial model. So go ahead and give it a try, Julian, and uh, let me know how you do. Jay, great speaking of you. Thanks so much, Julian. This was really a lot of fun. I hope people really uh, got a little bit of understanding and, and ideas and uh, motivation for uh, loyalty marketing and, and financial modeling. If anybody wants to follow up, uh, ascendantloyalty.com is our website. And you can always find us there. And we're, uh, we're, we're happy to speak with anybody about this topic. Subscribe to Uncaged Wisdom for the latest and greatest in digital marketing insights and how they're solving problems with software and strategies. 